to Quilt Achievement's Market Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and trends that we have been exploring for you here at Quilt Achievement. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you're listening on, or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. I'm your host, James Hardy, Investment Manager based in our London office. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by regular podcast guest, Richard Carter, our Head of Fixed Interest Research, as well as Mamta Valecha, Equity Research Analyst. Good morning to you both. Now, Richard, let's set the scene firstly. How are credit spreads looking right now? Have things settled down following the Silicon Valley Bank turmoil? Yeah, good question, James. I mean, yeah, you've cast our mind back a few weeks ago, you know, lots of banks started to be under pressure and uh, central banks and everyone having to intervene and, and sort the problem. And there was a lot of talk about, always oh, is this a repeat of, uh, you know, 2008 and the financial crisis? Um, you know, forward on to today, actually things seem to have settled down uh, pretty nicely and uh, regulators seem to have done a good job. And, and so much that, you know, we're not talking anymore about, you know, Federal Reserve maybe having to stop raising rates straight away and even cut them soon. Actually, we're now talking about potentially them increasing interest rates at the next uh, next meeting again and sort of minds being focused back on uh, inflation issues rather than the banks. So actually, you know, no surprises, no surprises really. When that's the case, credit spreads tend, tend to uh, tighten. So credit, credit uh, corporate bonds tend to outperform uh, government bonds in that sort of more risk-friendly environment. So, yeah, if you look at um, sterling investment grade uh, spreads, they've come in to about 180 over gilts. Um, so well down from where they were a few weeks ago, but still still above sort of uh, average over the last five years. So I'd say overall they're priced, you know, cautiously expecting a bit of a slowdown in growth, but certainly not priced for a sort of, you know, a hard landing or anything. Super. Now, just going a little bit further afield, emerging market debt has some key attractions, but the fly in the ointment is the political risk associated with such countries. For example, Taiwan's relationship with China is making people quite jittery. How is the political risk being factored into such debt markets right now? Yeah, so if you invest in emerging market uh, debt, you've you've got quite a few things to uh, sort of think about in terms of possible risks, and and political risk is is always up there, uh, and it always has been, you know, for for, for the last few decades really. So um, the issues over China, Taiwan, you could kind of you know see with see with that perspective, and it's just another political risk to worry about. I mean, obviously the last few years, you, you know, you've seen what's going on in Russia with the uh, war in Ukraine. You've had issues in Turkey. Um, and also several South American countries have had political problems. So you, you would tend to see it in um, potentially the currency. So if you were buying debt it denominated in local currency, you would see, um, you could see the currency weaken on political risk. You've seen uh, the ruble, uh, South African rand underperform this year because of the political problems those countries have got. Um, you might see it in the bond yield or the spread to US treasuries, for example. So um, these things tend to sort of you know rise and fall depending on the, the situation in the country. Um, at the moment, I would say the market is less focused on China, Taiwan, more focused on, you know, the risk of a hard landing in the US and, and whatever the Fed's going to be doing. I think that's always a, a big issue for emerging market investors. I think China, Taiwan is a difficult one. Um, you know, actually you look at Chinese local currency, government bond yields, you wouldn't see any kind of reaction to, you know, the speculation. 
I don't think investors are kind of positioned for a Chinese invasion of Taiwan anytime soon. I really do think it's um, off the table for now, um, albeit there will always be headlines about the you know, problems between the China, China and the US. But I think, I think for now, as I say, EM, a bit like credit, actually, has kind of done okay because, you know, sort of risks in the global economy have calmed down a little bit. But, um, yeah, there's always, as I say, there's always those, when you're investing in that market, all those concern, always concerns about the politics. And, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. There are plenty of positives out there. I mean, so, for example, sections of the high yield credit market now offer high single digit returns with all the trappings of bonds in the capital structure. But, Richard, what are you looking at right now that's particularly attractive? Well, when we invest in high yield, we would tend to invest in a sort of broad uh, basket of, of the market. And, and overall, at the moment, it's yielding. If you look at the US market, which is the, the main one, really, it's, it's about eight and a half percent yield overall. And within that, there'll be some, you know, more solid companies who are almost investment grade. And there'll be some who, uh, with the best will in the world, might not be around for, for the next 10 years. So it's always a bit of a broad, broad spread. But but our, our, I mean, I would say that high yield spreads high yield yields look okay certainly relative to where they were a year or two ago when they reached almost four percent in the states um but i do think if you see a, a hard landing uh in the us because of what the fed's been doing with interest rates then high yield could be a risky place to be it tends to be quite correlated to equities um there are quite a few companies in there as i say if, if there is a hard landing the us could could come under a lot of pressure uh, you could see defaults rise. So when we look at our fixed income allocations, I'd say we're more focused on investment grade uh, and government bonds. The, the yields are lower, but you know, liquidity and security is, is better. Uh, and that's often what it's about when we're, we're looking at our uh, fixed income allocations. Now, one of our favourite investment themes at Quilt Achieve It on the equity side is luxury goods. Now, Mamsa, you've just finished reporting on the major players, Hermes and LVMH, and Richemont are due to report next month. Which categories within luxury are doing the best right now? Um, thanks, James. Yeah, so LVMH kicked off the earnings season for the luxury goods companies last week. And what a show it was. Excellent results with numbers ahead of expectations across all divisions, confirming the still positive trends in the luxury goods market. But most importantly, what we have been waiting for, the results also confirmed the demand bounce back from Chinese nationalities. And this performance was also echoed by Hermes, who reported on Friday. Now, LVMH is the most diversified luxury goods company, so it gives you a great insight into how various categories have been performing. The most important fashion and leather goods division saw organic sales increase 18%, and this was ahead of expectations of 11%, so a solid beat, with growth being led by the usual suspects, Louis Vuitton and Dior. However, unlike the last couple of quarters, it was not just about fashion and leather goods, all other segments delivered. Notable areas included selective retailing, which saw good traction driven by Sephora. This is the beauty and skincare retailer, reflecting strong performance in the US. In fact, LVMH has actually opened its first Sephora store in London Westfield earlier this year, which has also started strong. DFS, which is a luxury travel retailer, also saw good momentum driven by the resurgence of travel both in the US and Europe. Watches and jewelry also came out ahead. We are seeing momentum building at Tiffany. This remains a good read across for Richemont, who reports in May. Now, Richemont has a great exposure within um, branded jewelry through its brands Cartier and Van Cleef, and a great exposure to Chinese nationalities within this category. 
Thank you. I mean, you, you touched on it there. I mean, how how has the uh, Chinese demand varied over the years and more and specifically more recently as well? Yeah, so pre-pandemic, it is estimated that Chinese nationals accounted for about 30 to 35% of luxury goods sales. And this has dropped to around 20% in 2022. As such, companies exposed to Chinese nationalities, such as the luxury goods companies, should be one of the biggest beneficiaries of Chinese um, spend and the reopening of that area. However, the long-term picture is also interesting. China currently has a middle and upper middle class of around 400 million people, and the Chinese government's Common Prosperity Initiative seeks to double this to 800 million by the end of the current decade. In China, the threshold for buying luxury goods is far lower from an income standpoint, around $50,000 versus $100,000 in the West, Therefore, the more people that are entering that funnel of the middle class, the more target consumers they are for luxury products in China. Great, thank you for that. And then one thing on everyone's mind right now is recession. I mean, I might have to limit myself to only one new Hermes tie this year, the horror. How do you think recession affects such luxury businesses? So while the luxury sector is not immune from sh shocks, it is also not a proxy for the economy. Luxury goods companies target the affluent consumer, whose behaviours are not fully aligned with macro, their purchases are often emotional, driven by desirability or status. But with that said, luxury goods companies are only as good as a portfolio of brands, and LVMH is an undisputed leader in fashion leather goods, housing some of the hottest brands such as Louis Vuitton, Dior, and also Loewe. We also like Branded Jewelry, which is an underpenetrated market. It is an oligopolistic market in nature with the with Richemont leading with its brands, Cartier and Van Cleef. Branded jewellery and luxury watches, especially gold, have also seen strong demand, especially last year, as it was seen as a store of value in inflation environments. But more specific to this year, as I previously mentioned, luxury good companies such as LVMH and Richemont, who have one of the highest exposure to Chinese nationality, should benefit from the reopening, helping to offset the normalization of trends from the US, which has been growing above average since 2022. Thank you. And then on a slightly different track, can either of you recommend a good book for our listeners? Um, yeah, so great question. I am currently reading The Chim Paradox, which basically is about how your mind works. Um, there's one part of the brain which wants to think logically. It is rational and makes decisions based on facts. This is your human side. And the other part of the brain is more emotional, impulsive, and sees the, sees the world in a more black and white way. And this is your chimp. Now, often the chimp and human are battling for control, but the chimp is 10 times more powerful than a human. So therefore, it can be your best friend or your enemy. And this book pretty much gives you great tips to live with the chimp and manage it in your favor. And uh, and, and James, it probably says uh, a lot about my sort of um, interest outside of work, maybe, uh, which might not be be, be uh, copied by everyone listening to this. But um, I the, the last book I wrote, which I very much enjoyed, uh, is Max Hastings' latest one. So it's about the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's called um, Abyss, which is not the most uh, cheery of titles, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But um, I think it's quite interesting not just to learn about the history of what happened uh, during that period, but you can there's quite a lot of read across to the issues today particularly sort of tension great power tensions between 
Russia and the US, but also you could argue that um, you know what the what the um, what the Americans did with a sort of blockade of uh, Cuba could be uh, a, a possibility the Chinese end up doing uh, with Taiwan. So I think um, uh, reading about what happened in you know in that in that uh, you know great crisis sort of fifty or so years ago it could have important implications for for today. Perhaps an idea for a future podcast, uh, Story Time with Richard and Manta. Thank you very much for those great insights and to everybody for listening. Did you enjoy our discussion on the podcast today? We love to hear from our listeners. So please review the show now wherever you're listening and be sure to share it on your socials and tag us at Quilt Achieviot. To make sure you don't miss a future episode, please tap the subscribe button. We will be back next Tuesday. In the meantime, head over to our website, www.quiltachieviot.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview, as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can also stay up to date with our thoughts on the markets, news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or on our social media pages. Finally, do you have any questions you'd like to ask for one of our experts for our next podcast? Simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. We love to hear from your questions. And that's it for today. So thank you, Richard and Manta, for your time and for everybody for listening. See you next time.